Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Well, today uh, is the last in our series, uh, as Andy was saying earlier, and uh, today the topic is uh, promise and passion. It's a, uh, it's a full service today because we've already, as we were coming in, read the triumphal entry of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and, and now we've just read a passage actually sort of of Jesus announcing um, his ministry, kind of going back to early days of his ministry and making a sort of this announcement of what he was here to do. But um, before we jump uh, sort of to this, the context here, uh, for those maybe who haven't been traveling with us over the last six weeks or five weeks, um, I'm just going to jump back and kind of quickly cover the entire Old Testament, which we've done in five weeks. So let me just do that really quick for you, and then we'll, we'll dive into today. So we started um, a, a few weeks ago talking about, um, well, we started with creation. Rule and rebellion was the, was the title we used. And it was the sense that God had uh, spoken and created the universe. And in the midst of his creation, he had set aside humanity, Adam and Eve, and, and given them rule and authority over his creation. And very quickly, though, after they were given this rule and this authority over creation, we found that the one thing that God had uh, commanded them not to eat from the tree, they had indeed done just that. And that sort of set in, uh, in, in spin a course of events. And uh, it meant that they were uh, removed from the garden and the place that they were given and, and life dramatically changed. And what we began to see was that uh, sort of this perspective that it seemed as if God sort of just let everything take its course. 
their, their rebellion, letting that sort of take its run and take its course. And, and so, uh, finally, to the point where we saw Jesus come, I mean, God say, uh, come and say, basically, that in all of humanity, he couldn't find anybody sort of that was doing right. All he could see was evil in the world, except for one person, Noah. And so, he sort of, we talked about it, sort of hit the reset button a bit, sort of like turning our computers on and off. He sort of reset and, uh, and brought the flood, and, and Noah, he begins again. And, and Noah sort of has this same command that was given to Adam and Eve to go and be fruitful and multiply. And, and then we move from there to, uh, we move from there to uh, talk about uh, Abraham, that God, in the midst of His creation, in the midst of this moment of having sort of reset things, um, He began to speak to an individual man, Abraham, and He called Abraham, and He uh, called him uh, out of where he was and to a new place, and He gave him a promise and, uh, of, of a, that He would make him a people and great nation, and that He would give him a land. And and so we saw that, but very soon, not too long after, a few generations, his own people uh, had to escape to Egypt because there was a famine in the land, and in Egypt they found themselves in slavery. And it was in slavery then for some time then that finally God called them and delivered them out of slavery. And they learned freedom. Well, from, from there, we moved from family and freedom into land and legacy, because for over 500 years, God's people then had been looking and waiting for this promised land that they would be given, would be given to them. And finally, after hundreds of years, they were brought in to the promised land. And we saw Joseph uh, beginning to take them into the promised land and beginning to take the land and, 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 and this inheritance that they had been given. But once again, we just saw this pattern begin to develop that um, left to our own devices, people uh, would just follow after their own ways and fall away from God, and then God would have to send somebody to deliver them. And, and then after their deliverance, they would sort of fall back in that pattern, and we looked at that pattern over and over again. And then from there, we saw that God raised up a king, and we talked about kings and kingdoms, and, and God raised up an, a king, and a king by the name of David particularly, who he sort of gave as the model for what a king should be like. And, and David was, uh, had this amazing moment where he was promised, uh, he wanted to build a house for God, and God said, no, you can't build a house for me, but your son will do that, but let me just tell you this, instead, I am going to build a house for you. I'm going to establish your rule, the house of David, the kingdom of David, and, and forever there will always be somebody from the house of David who will rule and reign. But then we found that it was just a few generations on that um, the kingdom of, that, ruled, that David ruled was split in two because once again of sin and, and disobedience and rebellion. And so the kingdom went in different ways and split in two. And eventually, as God had promised and said and told and warned that, that if people didn't follow Him, that He would actually send them into exile. And so we found God's people in exile. And last week, uh, Andy began to share about um, this idea of uh, refugees and repentance. 
And the prophets, we read the prophets, and we saw that the prophets had given this opportunity over and over in calling the people, even in the midst of uh, their, um, their exile. He was giving them the opportunity, the opportunity for revival. That they didn't just have to survive. Survival wasn't the only option, but that God was actually giving them an opportunity for revival. And so they, after 70 years in exile, the people of God made their way back to Jerusalem and began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple. And that's a sort of where we left last week, and today we pick up that God's people are back in Jerusalem, and they have sort of reestablished themselves, and, and many have come back from exile, and they've been, but they've been a people who have been longing for something, longing for a Messiah, longing for the promise that God had given to them that someday He would send a Redeemer, a Deliverer, who would be unlike any other, that would deliver them out of their situation. And it's there that we sort of jump in today, and as we begin Holy Week, as we begin Easter week, we find ourselves um, really in the midst of, of this story of, of confusion, in a way, of Jesus. Because you see, the people had, um, they had been longing and waiting for a Messiah, and, and when Jesus shows up on the scene, there's a couple of things. One is, nobody has ever taught them like Jesus has taught them. When he speaks, they sort of say, wow, he talks with an authority that we've sort of never heard and never understood before. He's sort of unlike anybody else like that. They sort of lived in a way that was different than the way everybody else lived. And then he did things that nobody else had done. I mean, maybe there had been some miracles and some things, but nobody to the degree and to the scale that they they were observing in the life of Jesus Nobody had ever done those kinds of miracles. The blind were seen, and the dead were raised, and the lame walked. It's this message that Jesus says today in this passage. He said, I've come to proclaim freedom to captives. So they watched all of this ministry of Jesus, and they were filled with wonder. And as we read today, they were sort of like amazed. What could we say about him? But at the same time, while all of that was happening, he didn't look quite what they expected. There were lots of ways that Jesus sort of didn't fit the profile of what they were thinking of a Messiah because they were thinking of reestablishing the kingdom of Israel. They were under the oppression of the Romans, and so they were looking for a Messiah who would come and push back the Romans and, and reestablish themselves as a, as a mighty nation and a kingdom. And that wasn't what Jesus was doing. And so, on the one hand, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the crowds are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because, because we just, there's nobody been like him. And, and if, if, if this isn't the Messiah, then who could it be? And, and we see that sort of in, in his entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But yet we also see the sort of perplexity of of Holy Week, of sort of saying, yes, but, but this isn't what we expected. So today, I just, there's no way that we can tie all of the pieces of Jesus and all of the prophecies of the Old Testament and all of the things we've talked about, but I just want to go through quickly and, and sort of make some connections with the story that we've been telling.
I mean, the first one is, uh, comes from, oh, I've just done the worst thing ever. I've reduced my notes down to nothing. So there we go. <laughs> it's my greatest fear is that someday I'd press the wrong button and it would all disappear and it almost happened right there. So when we talked about rule and, and the authority and, and we talked about Adam coming and be given this rule, but we, his, his sin and, and through Adam's sin entering into the world. The understanding in the New Testament is that Jesus is the second Adam. Paul puts it this way about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the sort of way, and sort of in a way when we saw that sort of reset in the book of Genesis with the flood, sort of God saying, wait a minute, we need to start over. Jesus comes in a new and a fresh way to start over. Not by wiping out humanity again, but in the place of sin, in the place of disobedience, in the place of rebellion, Jesus comes to bring life, to bring wholeness, to bring health. He is the second Adam, the new Adam, the one who's bringing all the fullness of what Adam was intended to be. And so we see that in 1 Corinthians. We see it again in Romans. We see this comparison saying that through one man, sin entered the world. How much more through Christ has life come to the world? Well, then we had Abraham, this man called of God, this man given a promise to make a nation of him, to be a mighty people. And, and, and this was the promise that was given to, to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The people of Israel had in their mind that the rest of the world would be blessed because of us. Because we're the children of Abraham, the rest of the world will be blessed through us. And Jesus comes along to fulfill that very thing, to be actually the blessing for the entire world because of who he was and what he did. But also Jesus does this at the end of his ministry, just before he's taken up, what does he tell his disciples? He says, go you into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. You see, Jesus is going to bless, through Jesus, the world is going to be blessed, but maybe not in the way that the, the Jews had been thinking. It was going to be actually that those who follow after Jesus would go and take the message of the good news and of the gospel to the world, to every nation of the world. Jesus also connected with the story the story of the sort of life of, of Israel as well. Remember that Israel had gone into Egypt. They had gone there for protection. They had gone there because there had been a famine in the land. But we see that even in the life of Jesus, that Jesus as a young boy when under persecution, he goes down to Egypt. And it says that it was to fulfill 
to fulfill what had been prophesied, that he would go to Egypt and that he himself would come back out of Egypt. And it was out of Egypt that Jesus comes as a young boy, having been taken there to protect him. Because he's connecting, he's living out something of the life and the, and the ministry and the, the, the history of, of God's people. And then we saw that God called his people to give them a land, to give them a place. Jesus today in this passage that we read is, calls out and begins to say that he is here to fulfill, to announce and to declare the day of the Lord, the favor of the Lord. Jesus comes to, to announce that God's kingdom is breaking in. It's coming about. And in the same way that the people have been waiting for, waited for hundreds of years for a land and a place, Jesus says that, he says, I have a place as well, that you, that my followers are going to come. And Jesus says this, he says this in John 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, would I have told you that? I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. We too have this promise of a place, a new place that God has for us. Well, then we move into the kings and kingdoms. This idea that David had been raised up to be this model king and that his throne would never have an end. And, and in many ways, that caused a, a, a lot of... Um, it was both a thing of celebration for, God, for the people of Israel, but it was also a place of confusion because God had clearly said to David that there would always be somebody on David's throne who would reign. And yet we knew, and we can look historically, that there was a period of time when there was nobody seemingly from David's lineage that was reigning and, and being king. And so... God's people sort of raised that up, but yet it sort of wasn't quite fulfilled, and they didn't know quite what to do with that at times. And, and Jesus, and he, when he comes along, he has this incredible encounter with the Pharisees where he begins to make the connection for them. Jesus is gathered with the Pharisees, and he says to them, he says, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they replied, well, the son of David. And then he said to them, well, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? This is a sort of mind-blowing moment for the Pharisees. Because what Jesus basically says, saying to the Pharisees is, that David, David already understood, had some understanding and some sense that when he was prophesying, when he was speaking and talking about his Lord, that he was talking to someone who was alive and well. And yet it would be David's own son. And Jesus is announcing to the people, announcing to the Pharisees, that in fact the rule of David has never ended that there has always been somebody on David's throne, and it's the Messiah. And he was both pre-existent and there when David was saying those words, and he's now standing there in front of them. 
It's sort of, sort of this mind-blowing moment. The, there's no sort of, un, the, the, the Pharisees have sort of no answer for this because it's sort of like, wow, it's been there all along. This Messiah, the one we're waiting for, and yet David was speaking of him as if he already existed. And Jesus sort of says, go think about that for a little while. <laughs> well, finally, we came to the words of the prophets and we saw all of these prophetic words and, and again, there's no way today that we could go through and talk about all the ways that, that Jesus fulfilled the, the words of the prophets and all of the things. But, but in Mark, 15, or Mark 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus' announcement is, I haven't come to to say all of those things that have happened. Let's just, let's just forget about that. Jesus says, no, what I'm saying is all of those things that have been said, all of those things that have done, all of that history and all of those prophets and all of the, my, the commandments, all of the things that have been spoken, Jesus says, no, I'm here to actually fulfill those things. That's who I am. And that's what I'm here to do. And so he can pronounce and announce to his hometown, today this is fulfilled in your hearing because I am the one who's come to declare the day of the Lord's favor. And as we come into this Holy Week, if your heads are spinning a bit too, you can understand why the people's heads were spinning. What do we make of all of this? We can't really deny that there's been, never been anybody like Jesus. But on the other hand, oh, it's so different and it's sort of mind-boggling. And so we see them welcome him into the city of Jerusalem and, and wave before him and announce that, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And yet, it will just be a few days later that they'll be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They can't quite wrap their heads around it. Probably just giving them a headache to even think about. Today, as we get ready and we begin this journey towards Easter, this journey of the passion of Christ, the invitation is the invitation that Jesus himself gave. When Jesus said, if you want you want to come with me? And Jesus says then this, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And that's his invitation to us this week as we enter into Holy Week, as we enter into a celebration of, and remembrance of his passion and the celebration of his resurrection next Sunday. Jesus calls to us afresh and anew, take up your cross and come follow me.